The following audio is from LifePoint Church, located in O'Fallon, Missouri. For more information about LifePoint Church, visit us online at thelifepointconnection.com. If you've got your Bibles, you can go ahead and grab them and open them up to the book of Jonah. Uh, we're starting a new series this morning uh, entitled Jonah. I didn't come up with that. Uh, we're going to be there for probably uh, six or seven weeks, depending on how long it takes me to get through this uh, book. But basically, it's a, it's a journey towards surrender. When you look at the book of Jonah, um, it's, it's, it's really talking about how even us as children of God, as men of God, as women of God, really need to surrender. And I think what happens is when we think of surrender, what do you think of typically? You think of something that is uh, not good. You think of something that uh, is bad. And so if there's an, an enemy or a war and the, and the enemy is pressing in on you or coming to you, you really have two really options to either retreat or surrender, right? And so uh, surrender is like a bad thing. I don't want to give up. I don't want to throw in the towel. I don't want to give in. And we live in America where our identity is built around being strong enough to never surrender, believe it or not. And so when we think of surrender, we usually think it as a negative thing. But look at me. Listen to me. When it comes to surrendering to God and Jesus is Lord, it's the greatest thing that you and I could ever do. And so, so many of us, we know Jesus maybe as Savior, that he brought us out of the pit, out of sin, out of death, out of slavery. But so many of people have Jesus as Savior, but never want to submit to him or surrender to him as Lord. And so basically what happens is we get a get-out-of-hell-for-free card because of the cross, but we've never actually submitted our lives in complete surrender to Jesus as our Lord. And Jesus over and over again will call us to a place of surrender, a place of obedience. And so uh, you should be in the book of Jonah now. And um, listen, if you don't know where it is, just go to the table of contents. I had to do that earlier. There's no shame in that. Some people, uh, when they think of the book of Jonah, um, they think of a, a man who basically tells God no. Right? Okay, so here, here's a guy. He tells God no, and then God punishes him by sending a storm and throwing him into the sea. Right? And so he has to submit because then a big old fish comes and swallows him. Right? And then three days later, pukes him up on the shore. Bleh, and then he gets him to where he needs to be. Right? And so when, when people think about the book of Jonah, most people, they think that it's just a, it's like a fairy tale. Uh, but, but I want to tell you that it's not a fairy tale. A lot of people, they, they would say, well, how is that even possible? I mean, is it even possible to really get swallowed by a fish? I mean, come on. Uh, listen, the Bible starts out, in the beginning, God said, let there be light, and there was light. It starts with impossibilities, y'all, right? And so being swallowed by a fish is a small one in comparison to the entire scripture as a whole. Jesus, he's there in the beginning. He calms storms. He heals blind eyes. All these things are happening. And so this is just one of the many ways that God shows his glory. And so some people would say, oh, man, it must be a myth. Maybe the book of Jonah should read like a parable. Once upon a time, there was a little boy named Jonah. 
The, the problem with that is that it's not written like a parable. It's not written like a fable or a fairy tale. It, it's, it's, it's true. It's written in a historical way. And so I think that, that, the, that Jonah is absolutely true because Jonah, one, was a real person. He was a real guy. Second Kings talks about Jonah. And so 2 Kings 14, it talks about Jonah being a real person. And not only is Jonah a real person, he's a real prophet. And Jonah had a real daddy. And we see in verse 1 of chapter 1 in Jonah that they actually say, this is Jonah. He had a real daddy. He came from a real family. No one can pronounce his name, but he has one. Right? And so he's, he's a real guy. And, and it's really written in history. But the most important thing that we need to acknowledge that this is a true story is because Jesus says it's a true story. In Matthew chapter 12, in Luke chapter 11, Jesus says... The same thing, Jonah was assigned to those people, so will my death and resurrection be assigned for this generation. See, Jesus refers to Jonah as really happening. He really refers to Jonah as this is actually true. And so we need to understand that this is not just simply a myth or a fairy tale or some type of story. He's a real man, a real prophet with a real daddy, and Jesus says he's a real guy who was sent to a real place. And the people really did repent and come to God. And so, let's look in Jonah chapter 1. We're going to dive right in here. That's funny, isn't it? Jonah chapter 1, starting in verse 1. It says, Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh. Now notice it doesn't say, once upon a time, there was a minute. It says the word of the Lord. Now, here, here's the thing. is A lot of the, the things that happen that God does, it starts with the word of the Lord. This is no exception. It says the word of the Lord, it came to Jonah. It came to him. So God's voice is speaking to Jonah. And what does it say? It says, Arise, get up. And then it says, go, right? And so this is the voice of the Lord coming to a real man named Jonah. And God says to Jonah, I want you to get up and I want you to go. Now, maybe this arise is like, hey, I want you to get up off your lazy bum and go do something, right? Maybe that's it. Maybe this arise is, hey, I want you to get up off the couch. I want you to put down the controller. I want you to put down the remote. I want you to put down the chips and salsa. And I want you to get up off the couch, and I want you to go. Maybe that's the arise. Or maybe the arise is wake up, sleepy. Get up, wake up. The alarm clock's going off. This is the word of the Lord. It's time to rise and it's time to get up. And here's the deal. As I'm thinking about this arise, I'm thinking that so many of us are sleeping on God. And so when we're in our busyness, when we're in our schedule, I mean, yeah, sure, we're going through the motions, but spiritually, we're asleep. Spiritually, we're lazy. 
Spiritually, we fill our time with everything but the mission of God. So God says, get up. Wake up. You're sleeping on me. You're lazy on me. Get up. Rise up, you sleeper. So many people are spiritually sleeping on God. Or maybe this arise is because Jonah was on his knees before God. Maybe Jonah was on his knees praying to God, seeking God, asking for God to speak. Anybody ever been there? Asking for God to speak, asking for God to direct his path, asking God to use him, asking God to use him to bring salvation. Maybe he's down there on his knees praying, God, would you just do something, speak to me, use me in such a way. Now, either way, either way, I stand before you today knowing that most Christians would admit they have a hard time hearing God. Anybody? Most believers would come into a place like this and say, I have a hard time hearing the voice of God. Maybe, maybe you have a hard time hearing the voice of the Lord, maybe because you rarely ask him to speak. I mean, when was the last time you really found yourself in a quiet place, on your face, on your knees, removing the distraction and saying, God, would you speak? I want to hear your voice. I want to hear your word. I want to hear your call on my life. Maybe, maybe you don't hear the voice of the Lord because you don't care what he's going to say to you. Maybe you're so busy with your busy schedules that you don't have time. And even if you did hear from the Lord, you're not really ready to obey anyway. And so maybe, maybe you don't hear the voice of the Lord because you don't really care what he's saying. Maybe you have a hard time hearing the voice of the Lord because spiritually you're just sleeping. You don't come in asking for the Lord to speak. You're just kind of going through the motions and you're asleep when it comes to the things of God. You can see God do things all around you like it says in Hebrews 5 and 6. But you don't bear any fruit because you're not really in tune to what God is doing in you and through you. You're spiritually asleep. Maybe you have a hard time hearing the word of the Lord because you're not willing to slow down enough to listen. It's almost like silence hurts. It's almost like being still is the most difficult thing. My kids are 10 and 12, and they still have that anxiousness, right? They gotta go, gotta go. Right? You can't sit still. I was like that in school, man. I mean, I'm even like that now. You look at me. I can't sit still. Sometimes it's the hardest thing to be silent and to be still before God. And I tell you that 
because I want to tell you that God is still at work. God wants to speak. You're not hearing the voice of the Lord not because he doesn't want to speak. It's not because he doesn't want to move. It's not because he doesn't want to talk to you and love on you and encourage you and say things to you like, get up! Let's go! And listen, the reason why we're not hearing that is not because God doesn't want to speak, because the Lord still does come to us. The Lord still calls men and women and people and groups of people to himself, real people with real daddies, to say, go, proclaim the good news to people. Go and be about my business. Go and be about my kingdom. Go and be about my glory. Look, look, look at it with me again. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, and he heard it very clearly. The son of Amittai saying, rise and go to Nineveh, that great city. Go into that great city and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Now two things. Nineveh was a great city. It was awesome. Uh, Historically, it was a city with really big buildings and really wide streets and loads and tons of people. And so there's people all over the city. And so this was a great, 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 great city. It was established. It was prosperous. It was thriving. It was a great city. But the other problem was It was wicked. It was great and wicked. It was great and evil. Now, the Ninevites, I need you to know this, the Ninevites were seen as some of the cruelest people in the ancient world. So when they would come in and they would conquer a city, you know what they would do? They would come and they would capture the people and they would would cut their skins off. Gross, right? Uh, it's, it's, It's exactly what you would imagine. They would cut their skins off, and they would drape the skins up around the city so so that everyone would see how strong and how powerful they are, and they would cast fear against any of their enemies. And, And the people who don't have skin anymore, they wouldn't die, but what they would do is they would dig holes into the ground, put the people in the holes, bury them up to their necks, cut out their tongues so that they would die of dehydration. They just lay there in the sand. And then after they're dead, they would cut their heads off and they would make a mountain of heads right outside the city. Don't ever dare come against the Assyrians. We are torturous and we are violent and we will hurt you. That's Nineveh. Great city, wicked city, right? Now, not only that, but one of Nineveh's primary targets was its neighbor to the south. Can you guess who that was? Israel. It was Israel. It was Jonah and his neighbors and his family and his people. Nineveh was against Israel, which means... Jonah and his people were probably victims to that cruelty. 
Now imagine your heart toward the Ninevites in that scenario. And God says, I want you to get up, and I want you to go to Nineveh, and I want you to go in and, and, and proclaim forgiveness and call out against them. So Jonah's there, and he says, you want me to go where? You want me to do what? You don't want me to march in the city, just me. No army, no troops, just me. You want me to go in the city, and you want me to call them out? What does Jonah do? Uh-uh. You got to be kidding me. So, so go easy on my boy Jonah here, right? Listen, Jonah didn't want to go, but listen to this. Why did Jonah not want to go? chapter 4 of, of Jonah. It says that Jonah says, I don't want to go because I know you're a merciful God. And I know you're a gracious God. And I know that your love is abounding and steadfast. And your forgiveness has no ends. That's why he doesn't want to go. Because if he goes and he calls out against them, he's afraid that God's going to grant some mercy and forgiveness. And Jonah doesn't want to see him saved. Hello? I mean, he's angry at them. He's got some bitterness. He's got some hate against these people. Jonah didn't want to see repentance and salvation. Jonah wanted to see vengeance. I'm not going. I know you're a merciful God. I know you're a loving God. And I know you're a forgiving God no matter what. Now, now, now look right at me. Because some of you have walked into this place thinking that your sin is so great that it's beyond the mercy of God. It's not true. Listen, the cross paid the bill for you so that all of God's mercy, all of God's forgiveness, all of God's grace, and him abounding in steadfast love can be shown to you. There's not a sin that's beyond the grasp of God. There's not a people that are so wicked that God doesn't say, I want them of my very own. There's not a type of person, a wicked person, an evil person that's beyond the grasp and the love and the grace of Jesus. God looks at Jonah and says, I love those people of Nineveh and I want to save them. So if he can do that with them, there's hope for me. And there's hope for you. And so God says, get up, and I want you to go. Now look at this with me. Now the word of the Lord, it came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, arise and go to Nineveh. It's a great city, and I want you to call out against it. And I want you to call out against it because they're, they're evil, and their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish, that's not Nineveh, that's a different city. He went up and he went to flee to Tarshish from the, give me that word, presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare, he actually paid money. He actually sacrificed some of his own money to disobey God. He paid some of his own money 
and boarded the ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare. He went down into it to go to Tarshish away from, what's that word? The presence of the Lord. So Jonah, he hears the word of God, and what does he do? But he runs the other way. And now you got to see this, because Jonah, he's a man of God. He's a prophet of God. He's upstanding. He's right in so many ways. I mean, he's involved in the church. He's on many committees. He leads Bible studies, Sunday school. He is involved with it. He's probably a great leader, probably a great preacher. He is upstanding in every way. His neighbors like him. His community likes him. The boys at work like him. They're inviting him out to happy hour, right? His schoolmates like him. Everybody loves Jonah. And they see him as a good, godly man. And he even has the Christian radio station program on channel one in his car. He's got it. Yet he's avoiding God. He's avoiding God. He's avoiding God. People have figured out that church is one of the greatest places you can avoid God. People, you figure that out? Church is one of the, the best places for you to avoid God. Many people in the church today, they try everything in order to avoid God. They do everything in order to avoid being obedient to what God is saying to their heart. And so what we do is we busy our lives, we busy ourselves with church, we busy ourselves with service, we busy ourselves with hobbies, we busy ourselves with sports, and so we go to this church on this day, and we go to this, this Bible study on this day, and then we go to this church on this day, and then we go to this church on that day, and then I'm involved in this thing on this day, and I'm busy, I'm busy, I'm busy, I'm doing the things of God, and the whole thing are all outward righteously acts, but deep down, we're trying to flee from the presence of God. Deep down, we don't want to hear from God. Because he know, we know he's going to call us out. He's either going to call us to repentance or he's going to call us to observe something that he's calling us out to do. Like go and tell somebody. Go and tell your enemy. Go and forgive those who have hurt you. I don't want to hear that. I know what I'll do. I'll get involved in church. That seems like a good plan. And let me tell you, the church, we've done a spectacular job of giving you exactly what you want. Haven't we? We, we give entertainment rather than self-examination. We give busyness rather than transformation. We give religion rather than a genuine relationship with God. And we, as the church, we play right along with your game. People have left church because they say things like, well, they don't have what I'm looking for. What are you looking for? Entertainment? A program? You're looking for something that will entertain you or occupy you, something that will busy you. What's incredible is that American Christianity has become more about seeking preferences and comforts rather than hearing the voice of God. 
and we walk in and we say, I have a hard time hearing the voice of the Lord. We wonder why so many Christians have never experienced what it means to say the word of the Lord came to me. The word of the Lord came to me. Because we, we want barbecues and buffets. We want games and gimmicks. We want potlucks to feed our pot bellies. That sounds great. Rather, rather than hungering and thirsting and coming in hungry for the Lord. Rather than falling to our face. And say, God, I want you to speak. I want you to move. I want you to talk to my heart today. Rather than hungering and thirsting for righteousness, hungering and thirsting for the voice of God, what we'd rather do is just simply play church. And what happens when the word comes to us finally, when the word presses us, when it calls out to us, when it says to your heart, hey, get up, get up and go, get up. And go and forgive and love and call out and be about my glory. You know what we do? We run. We run. Rather than thinking about the voice of the Lord, we think about what's for lunch. How long is this guy going to talk? We run so we never have to deal with what God's placing on our hearts. Because if we are really honest, and I know this is church, it's not that place. But if we are really honest, we don't want to hear what God has to say. You know the word that he uses here twice, the word presence? It's the word for face. Fleeing from God's face. You, you see, Jonah, Jonah knows, like you know. Come on. I mean, there's nowhere you can go to get out of the presence of the Lord, right? I mean, there's no valley dark. No, there's no cave you can hide in. There's no mountain you can climb. There's no place that you can get out of the presence of the Lord. And Jonah knows he can't outrun God. He knows he can't go to a place where God is not. Jonah wants God out of his face. Jonah wants God out of his face, and he doesn't want to go there. And what happens, instead of our relationship with God being based on our communion with God and the Spirit of God leading me and guiding me inside of me, what I begin to do is I begin to justify my walk with God by comparing myself to all of you. Oh, look, I go to church. Oh, look, I give in the offering. Oh, look, I'm, I'm moral, and I own a Bible. Dang. And you do that stuff so that God would get out of your face. So like Jonah, many will give an appearance that you're close to God and yet run from his face. Many people are what seems like to be godly people who look like they're walking with God. But in some area they're saying no. I don't want to go there. Maybe today there's a sacrifice that God's put on your heart to make. Maybe today he's telling you to wake up. 
Maybe today he's calling you to some sacrifice, some thing. Maybe it's something you get rid of. Maybe it's a sin that you need to confess and repent of. Maybe it's some amount of money that you need to give away because money really is your idol. And you want to loosen the grasp that it has on that. Maybe today you, you, you're just honest and you say, I don't want to change my lifestyle. Maybe today God's calling you to really invest, invest into a body, invest into a, a disciple, invest into the kingdom. Maybe it's, maybe it's a lifestyle change that you're going to have to go through because you're so busy and you have everything going on except for what really matters. And you're busying yourselves right out of the face of God. Maybe, maybe there's a relationship that you're in that you know is not pleasing to God, yet you refuse to end it. You see, obedience to God is not just simply saying no to things, bad things. It's actually saying no to good things. Re rebellion is just simply saying no to God. You want to hear something amazing? Jonah found a ship ready. Isn't that amazing? So Jonah hears the voice of God that says, arise, go to Nineveh. And Jonah actually goes down to the shipyard, and lo and behold, there's a ship ready going in the other direction. Isn't that amazing? Don't ever assume that the readiness of the ship is God's okay on your plan of action. Oh, look. This must be God's plan for me. This must be God's will for me. This must be the direction God's really telling me to go. I know I heard the voice of the Lord that told me to go to Nineveh, but look, there's an open door. There's a ship that's ready, and it's going in the other direction. Can I tell you how many conversations I've had where so many people are clearly going against the will of God, and they're like, hey, it just all worked out. I mean, if it wasn't God's plan, it wouldn't have worked out that way. Hey, uh, look, it's just an open door. It's an open ship. Look, it's a ship that's going to take me 1,500 miles away from where God really wants me. I'll get on that ship because that must be God's plan. You guys not find that amazing? That there's a ship ready to go the other way? I think that's pretty amazing. It must be God's plan. Listen, I want to tell you something. If you want to run from God it will be very easy to find a ship going to Tarshish. Very easy. You want to cheat, you want to lie, you want to steal, there's always something there to take. Look. You want to do those things, it's always ready. There's always something. You don't know why? Because you have an enemy that's a great deceiver, and his entire role is to ready the ship to your disobedience. That's what the deceiver wants to do. There will always be a ship ready. Why is it so important that we hear the word of the Lord rather than just counting ships that are ready to leave? We've got to depend on the word of the Lord. We've got to be still. And we've got to pray and we've got to ask, God, what do you want from me? Well, Eric, what if, what if there's a ship ready and I have peace in my heart about it? Well, let me tell you something else. Satan loves to give you peace about the wrong thing. Loves to do that. Remember Genesis 3? God places Adam and Eve in the garden and says, hey, all of these trees are good for food. All of these except this one. Don't eat this one. 
Because if you eat this one, you're going to die. And what does the enemy do? Look at that tree. That's a nice tree, isn't it? That's good for food. Yeah, that is good for food. Oh, that's, you eat that tree, that's going to make you wise. I'm going to be wise if I eat that tree? Ooh, that sounds good. Oh, and, and if you eat of that fruit, you won't die. I've got a piece. I've got to have that. i got to have that fruit. Oh, I have peace in my heart. There's a tree ready, right? There's fruit hanging low for me. I can reach it. Boop, here's some, right? And we pass it around like, oh, this is God's plan. Listen, he, Satan gave Eve peace about disobeying God. The peace in your heart. Listen, the Bible says that your heart is wicked beyond all things. There's always a ship ready. Of course you're going to have peace in your heart. Maybe, maybe, maybe the peace in your heart is not God's affirmation of what you're doing. Maybe it's Satan numbing your conscience. Maybe he's just numbing you to go down the path of death. Tarsus was 1,500 miles away, and the enemy wants to get you as far away from God's face as he can. Don't look at peace in your heart. Don't look at the readiness of the ship. Look at the word of God. What does the word of God say to you? I pray that the word of God would come to you today, that his voice and his truth would call us out of our running, that he would bring us into complete surrender as Jesus is Lord. There's a contrast between Jonah and Jesus. There's a contrast between how Jonah feels about the Ninevites and how God feels about them. Jonah wants to see them destroyed, and God wants to see them forgiven and restored. You see, Jesus says that he was a prophet like Jonah, that, that his death and resurrection would be the fulfillment given to this generation like it was to Jonah's generation. You see, Jonah was cast out in the sea. He was swallowed up by a fish. He was in the depths of the ocean for three days, and then he was brought back to life. Jesus was cast out into the sea of God's wrath, poured out through the cross, and he was in the depths of the earth for three days until he was resurrected and brought back to life so that he could proclaim faith and repentance to all. The difference is that Jonah went through all that he did because of his disobedience. Jesus went through all that he did because of my disobedience. Jonah ran from his enemies. Jesus ran toward him. Jonah was on a mission of revenge, and Jesus was on a mission of rescue. All of us have sinned against God. Jonah was about his own self-protection. Jesus was about his own self-sacrifice in my place. You see, the greatest news about the gospel is that Jesus did it perfectly, and I did it horribly. And he took my horrible death, and he gives me his great righteousness. It's the great exchange. That anyone who would have faith in Jesus and come to Jesus, it says that he would give you his righteousness as he takes your punishment upon that cross. All of us have sinned against God. We've sinned against God the same way that Nineveh's sin was to Jonah. Nineveh's sin against Jonah was great, but our sin against God was greater. And so I'm asking you today, would you be willing to stop running? Stop running. Be still. Hear the voice of God. Let it come to your hearts. And when God says, get up and go, we would get up and obey.
you see there's three real responses that are possible. There's direct disobedience, which was Jonah in the beginning. There's dutiful obedience, which is probably what most of us have experienced. You know what that is? That's when God tells you to do something, you don't really want to do it, but you do it anyway. There's no delight. There's no joy. There's no joy in your sacrifice. There's no joy in your giving. There's no joy in you being with other believers. There's no joy in being before God. It's just dutiful. And then the third is a gospel-transformed obedience where God begins to give us a heart like his. God's not just after obedience. He's after transformation. And so Jesus says things like this. He says, put down your nets and what? Follow me. He says to the rich young ruler, go and get rid of all that you have and then come and what? Follow me. He says to the other people, he says, take up your cross and what? Follow me. The thing about God calling us to obedience is that he says, follow me. The thing about God calling us into obedience is that he says, follow me, which means we're not alone when he says, get up and go. Whatever it is that God's calling you to, look at me. You're not alone. He's right there. He's not abandoning you. He's not forsaking you. He's not leaving you. He's not asking you to just give out of begrudging submission. He says, I'm right there. I'm right there. Arise. Go. And follow me. Today, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm asking that the God would bring the word to our hearts. And that today would be the beginning of our journey towards surrender. What does that look like for you today? Let's pray. The band comes up. Thanks for listening to this week's message. LifePoint Church exists to engage, encourage, and equip through the gospel for the glory of God. Therefore, it is our prayer that the Word of God would be an encouragement to your heart and lead you into a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. If you would like to support the ministry, you can do so by visiting our website at thelifepointconnection.com slash give. May God bless and may your life point to Christ everywhere in every way.